All right, believe it or not, the Western Division is in sight. Welcome into Hawkeyes Live right here at the Voice of College Football. We appreciate everybody being here on another Tuesday night, 5.30 Eastern Time, 4.30, where it counts. And, of course, Corey Brad is here from the Hawkeye of the Storm. Get on over there. We've got that overlap of football and basketball. So from the Hawkeye of the Storm, the place to be for Iowa football and basketball coverage. Corey, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, Mark. First big uh, Iowa basketball game of the season tomorrow. we got Seton Hall and the Gavitt games on the road out in New Jersey, so that should be a fun one. Pretty big game for Iowa. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely check out the channel. Um, I can't believe we're in this position here. I mean, it's great, right? We're, we're three weeks out from the end of the season, and we're talking about Iowa still being in, in contention for this division. Who would have thought that three weeks ago? The division is, of course, down, but you got to give Iowa credit, Kirk Ferentz credit. They've been resilient. The offense has been bad, but the defense has been unbelievable. Special teams has still been really good. Um, we may have found a punt returner, and, I mean, things are things are good. You win games, and uh, you're going to quiet the uh, the uh, those who are critical, including myself. And right now, I mean, as much as it's fair to be critical of the offense, they're winning games. They've won the last three. Absolutely. Uh, I would look at it as, okay, we've got five teams in play. And uh, for anybody that just takes a quick glance at the Big Ten Western Division standings and thinks, okay, well, Wisconsin, three and four, they're only a game back with two to play, but they got to climb all these other teams. They can't win. I figured out a path. It's obviously not easy, but it's, it's possible because they've got some tiebreakers that work in their favor. But I would fill in Iowa as the team that I think is most likely to win it because I think they will win their final two games of the season, even though they've got a difficult opponent here on the road. Uh, Purdue has the two easiest games with Northwestern and with um, Indiana, of course, the old Oak and Bucket trophy at the end of the year, but uh, they would lose the head-to-head, of course, with Iowa. So all sorts of configurations of back of the head-to-head sequence but then also the three-way tie factor that comes into it that Corey and I were trying to sort out as we recorded our podcast a Big Ten Paradigm the other day but uh, it is intriguing I think it's a whole lot of fun I know that the, the division gets slammed across the nation by college football fans but I think it's a whole lot of fun to try to figure out and and just watch meaningful football the final two weeks of the season not just in one location like on the other side of the conference but all over the place. But it is not a good division. No, it's not. Uh, I expected it to be nearly this fun and chaotic, right? But better, but right. just a little bit better. You know, Iowa beat Iowa State. Some of the other out of conference games to go the, the Big Ten's way, like Wisconsin, Washington State. So f- for the overall records to be a little bit better, and again, not to be quite this chaotic with the logjam at at four and three and with of course the disadvantage of the the games going in the east direction is going to weight down those even big 10 records in in the same division so that's where we stand i think the, the weird thing about it mark uh, as, as it relates to the west is how inconsistent these teams are i mean we can you can talk whatever you want about you know overall these teams aren't as good as they are and that's fine there's going to be years where, where teams are down, but typically this division is like Iowa and Wisconsin are the epitomes of consistency, right? I mean, just year in and year out. And I mean, Wisconsin's been weird all year. Of course, they fired Chris midseason. 
We know Iowa, their offense. I mean, they've been as consistent as anybody. Um, you know, I don't, I didn't say, I know you didn't, you weren't terribly surprised by the Michigan state win over Illinois, but that kind of caught me off guard a bit. And now they've lost two straight when it looked like they had control. They did have control of this division. Purdue's been really weird. You know, Minnesota's down their quarterback right now. They've lost games that you don't expect them to lose. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been a weird year is all around. Um, and it's the one year where, you know, one of those, Illinois or Nebraska, you could see one of those teams winning the division because everyone else is down in Illinois is on the verge of blowing that opportunity. Um, now if they win out, they're going to win the division, right? I mean, that's, uh, I think that's how the tiebreaker is laid out. It's pretty simple, right? They control their own destiny. Am I correct in that Mark? Uh, you're saying Minnesota does. Oh, if Il- Illinois. If Illinois wins the final two, yeah, they would have, yep. yeah, they have those two key tiebreakers against Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, uh, and Purdue. Yeah, so so that's my point. Um, but that, I just I, I don't see them beating Michigan. And frankly, I'll say this: I, I'm going to release my pick here in a, a day or two. I don't see Minnesota beating Iowa. I, I just don't. I mean, I'm not saying they can't, but I just don't know where the offense comes from. The Tanner yeah. Morgan not expected to play. That could maybe change. Will. We'll have our Minnesota guy on here in a few minutes, but without Morgan, I mean, they don't scare you through the air. And and one thing Phil Parker has done, and this is why I believe Phil Parker is the best DC in the country is heck. He's how many years into his tenure at Iowa. And this year he's done. He did something that he hasn't done, uh, or at least hasn't done much. He has stacked the box and sold out against the run. And typically that's just not a Phil Parker thing to do. Uh, typically he's not going to put his corners in a predicament where they could give up big plays. And to their credit, they haven't. They gave up one big play against Purdue. It was a deep shot out of the uh, Purdue's end zone to Charlie Jones. And they gave up a touchdown on, a, I believe it was uh, Charlie, uh, excuse me, Riley Moss um, that had um, coverage in a zone blitz and missed coverage and uh, went for a touchdown. Besides those two big plays, uh, these last two games, Iowa has sold out against the run and they haven't gotten bitten by the opponent. That is impressive on Phil Parker's part. So I expect them to sell out against the run against Minnesota. I mean, why wouldn't you right now? I mean, that's that may be the number one team in the conference that you'd want to sell out against the run against. So I'd be very surprised if Phil Parker reverts back uh, and he's able to do it. He has the personnel to do it. I don't remember a year where Iowa was as loaded at every single defensive position as they are this year. I give Riley Moss a lot of credit, Mark. I've been critical of him in the past. I thought he was a bit overrated. You know, he won defensive back of the year last year. He's been pretty good. I mean, he has been pretty good. Now, I I still don't know his NFL future. You know, is he a guy who can be a top three to four-round draft pick? Maybe. I'm no draft expert. I still would probably guess that he ends up getting taken fifth or sixth rounds. Um, but he's been good. Cooper DeGene, what a game for him. I mean, he, if it wasn't for Cooper DeGene, they, they may not have won Saturday. As convincing as that scoreboard looked, I mean, you know, he returns a big punt inside the 20. You know, he takes one back for a pick six. Uh, he, he was fantastic. Um, and so, I, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think, um, you know, Minnesota does give you something. They, they have something at running back that Wisconsin does not have. And that's a cohesive unit. Wisconsin's been up and down all year, although Braylon Allen has gash teams. I mean, go back to the Illinois game when Braylon Allen totaled, what, two yards or something like that on the ground? So 
We'll see. Minnesota's not played a tough schedule. I was just talking with Don Patterson about this last night, and we talked about it on Monday. Do you realize how bad their schedule is? I mean, we. I want to talk about. Can we talk about this before we get our Minnesota guy on here? Because it's unbelievable how bad. Just look at their their non conference schedule. And first of all, one of their crossover opponents was Michigan State, who we thought was going to be good, and of course they are not. Their non conference schedule was New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado. Now, do you know anything about Western Illinois this year, Mark? Because of course Don is. Don, of course, is the winningest coach in Western history. They're 0 and 10. They're 0 and 10. Now, New Mexico State, let me let me pull up New Mexico while you're uh, showing the viewers this. New Mexico State is an independent. They're four and five. And you may say, well, that's not too bad. New Mexico State has played Nevada. They played UTEP, Hawaii, New Mexico, Lamar and UMass. I mean, they've played, yeah. they, they've played basically five of the 10 worst teams in the FBS. <laughs> I mean, and then an FCS team in Lamar, they've played a nothing schedule on their four and five. They're awful. And if you look at total offense right now, let me pull up these numbers because this is obviously a somewhat of an indication. New Mexico state is 127 out of 131 FBS teams in total offense. All right. So that's one of the teams that Minnesota has played. I mentioned uh, mentioned Western Illinois. They also played Colorado. They are right now in total offense. They're 124 in total offense. So Minnesota's non-conference schedule was a joke. And that's, I mean, you got to believe that, that, and I look back at some of the numbers, some of their uh, numbers offensively on the ground and certainly defensively, because right now they're a top 10 defense in the country. Some of that was inflated by playing that schedule early. So do I believe that they are, let me pull up the, the numbers. I think they're maybe number six in the country in total defense right now. Um, let me pull this up here. Excuse me, number eight. They're number eight. Do I believe they're number eight? Probably not, but they've got a really good secondary, and they've been good throughout the year. But they've played a subpar, definitely a subpar non-conference schedule and a subpar Big Ten schedule because one of their crossover games, which is Michigan State, I mean, that's not against a good opponent. The rest of their games have been against the West. They did play Penn State and got handed. All right. They got they got the pants pulled down against Penn State, Mark. So I just don't know how Minnesota scores against Iowa's D. So for me, to Minnesota's credit, um, I, I think they're a really good defensive team. I, I put Minnesota and Illinois and Wisconsin in one bucket when it comes to defensive effectiveness. I think that they're not quite as good as their rankings because they run into a lot of bad offenses. And to your point, Minnesota's non-conference schedule. And then on top of that, Colorado is most likely the worst Power 5 team in the nation and worse than most Group of 5 teams or 50% of Group of 5 teams. So a really bad Power 5. So so just to, just to recap, before you go on, Mark, just sort of recap, Minnesota played the worst, maybe the worst Group of 5 Team one of the five worst group of five teams in the country in New Mexico State and the worst power five team in the country and maybe the worst FCS team in the country in Western Illinois who's zero and ten. Go on. Yeah. So so the the age old argument, especially with college football, because we just don't see enough games against each other, especially out of conference, is when you look at overall stats. You know what is that a product of? Well, in Big Ten Western Division circles these days. 
I think these defensive numbers are bolstered by playing bad offenses. And I think that comes into play mostly for Minnesota, Illinois, and Wisconsin. I think they are really good, sound defensive teams. I think they are top 25 to 30 defensive units. I think they're really good. But their stats say that they're top 5 to 10 units. Um, Iowa, I put in a different category for a couple different reasons because it doesn't matter who you trot out onto the field with them. They're still going to prove to be one of the best defenses in the country, number one. Number two, they turn defense into offense, unlike these other teams, which is such a random thing for all other defenses. But for Iowa, it's actually so consistent. Not that they can do it every game because that's just too much to ask, but they do it on a consistent basis that it's obviously part of their defensive prowess and effectiveness. Uh, So they're on a different level when it comes to defensive efficiency and effectiveness. And by the way, I don't know if people remember this back when Iowa played Rutgers and we were talking all these two terrific defenses. I remember saying, Rutgers' defense is good, probably not top 10. I said they're probably top 25, top 30. Well, guess what? They're, they've already moved down to number 21 in the country in, in total offense. So, But you're right about the West. The West is – those numbers are going to be hurt because you play in the East, right? You're playing Ohio State. You're playing Michigan. I give Iowa's defense credit too, Mark. They have not had a cakewalk out of division schedule. As you know, they played two of – they've played the two best teams in the conference, not just the division, in the conference in Ohio State and Michigan. Um, and so and we've talked about their performance against Ohio state, regardless of points given up, they were terrific in that game defensively. Um, so I, I, I just think Tanner Morgan, if, if he doesn't play Minnesota is not going to have any confidence in the passing game. They're not going to have much confidence in the passing game. If he does play, um, let's not forget that Chris Hopman bell is out. Uh, he, he would have been a weapon all year had he stayed healthy. Uh, and this might this might have been a division winning team. I know Steve Dace over at Michigan Podcast predicted Michigan to win the division, and I, I could see that happening. Um, but at this point, they, they are their passing game is uh, a shell of itself. And so, yeah, you're going to get a heavy dose of Ibrahim, and he's been terrific. I mean, I, I give the guy credit. It's hard to to come off of a a knee injury like he has and play as well as he has. But again, with Iowa's willingness to sell out against the run. Um, and, and Phil Parker's trust in his in, in the back end of that defense, not just with the two corners, but, I mean, heck, Sebastian Castro has been really good. Um, let's not forget, he wasn't a starter heading into the year. And they had P- Cooper DeGene playing cash. And, and Sebastian Castro has come in, filled in admirably. You've got Quinn Schulte playing well. You've got Ken, uh, Kayvon Merriweather playing well. I, I mean, if I'm misreading this, you let me know. And, we're, again, we're going to talk to our Minnesota guy in a few minutes, but I, I just don't know how they're going to score. You mentioned uh, Mo Ibrahim. I don't know that people realize across the nation and even within the Big Ten what a decorated career he has. Just this past weekend in Minnesota's win against Northwestern, Mo Ibrahim had his his 18th consecutive 100-yard rushing game. That is the longest streak in college football since 2000. In 22 years, 18 consecutive 100-yard games. And he scored his 50th touchdown. He's only one of seven players in the history of the conference to score 50 touchdowns. Just a remarkable career by Mo Ibrahim. And uh, he is going to be the Minnesota offense unless they drum up something special for somebody else uh, on Saturday. I don't know what the weather is supposed to be like, but uh, it's going to be on his shoulders as it has been most of the season. Uh, We want to remind everyone before we continue here that our Hawkeyes live show here on Tuesday each and every week brought to you by 
the fine people at Gene Arthur Associates. Get on over to Gene Arthur Associates. We'll leave the uh, link uh, in the description section of all the videos. You can find it on all the videos here at the Voice of College Football. Get on over there. And uh, in this day and age of uh, runaway inflation and everything else, if you want to save a few bucks, give it a shot. Uh, get your instant quote on whatever your insurance needs. Also keep in mind that we've got Thanks to Gene Arthur Associates, a, give, a ticket giveaway here at uh, Hawkeyes Live for the Nebraska-Iowa showdown on the final weekend of the season. So we will post that information as well. What you need to do there is you go to Facebook, you look up Gene Arthur Associates right there, and uh, you like, comment, and share. Follow their uh, Facebook page, and you're automatically entered into the possibility of um, coming away with two tickets for Iowa and Nebraska. I will. I hope this isn't uh, just semantics, but I will. I will push back on just one evaluation of Iowa versus the rest of the division in terms of being topsy turvy and inconsistent. I think Iowa's been perfectly consistent throughout the season. Maybe the results haven't. Yeah, oh, but we're I- getting the same offense and the same defense every week. Uh, Purdue, they I think are on the other end of the spectrum. I don't know who's going to show up when they take the field. No, I agree with you, and that that would be my the one exception. Iowa has been ultra consistent. I mean, if Iowa loses this weekend, Mark, first of all, they're not going to win the West. All right, you you lose this weekend, you're done. Um, and the best you can do is seven and five. You're going to a bowl game either way. They'll go to a bowl game at six and six. Uh, but if you if you lose this weekend, it's going to be because of the offense, Mark. Like regardless of what Mo Ibrahim does, I mean he he's not going to come out there and, and rush for two hundred. I mean, he may get a hundred, and I, I kind of struggle to see that. But boy, those numbers—something's got to give this weekend because Iowa's been holding everybody down, and they've played some good backs here over the last few weeks. And um, something's got to give. You said how many games? Is he, how many straight games is he had a hundred? Eighteen. Don Patterson said that to me yesterday. Eighteen. I mean, that is an astounding number. He is an NFL back. Um, he's a far more accomplished back than Braylon Allen, and I like Braylon Allen. Let's not forget, too, that Minnesota had a lot of attrition along that offensive line after last season. They had some guys that ended up in the league. Um, so I, I give Minnesota and P.J. Fleck credit. They have they have rebuilt that pro, that offensive line nicely. And, again, to get him back to full strength after that gruesome knee injury last year, at credit all around, um, it is supposed to be very cold, I can tell you that, on Saturday. And I don't really know how much that affects I me. Mean, these guys are going to have – hand warmers on the, on the sidelines at every break. Um, I'm sure the quarterbacks will have their little pouch that they can put their hands in. Um, so I, I don't know where, where that, what, what that does to the game. I don't think we're supposed to see precept up there in, in Minneapolis. I am not going to the game in Minneapolis, by the way. Uh, it, it, it crossed my mind for a second back in July. And then I thought, you know, why do I want to go North in the middle of November? And here we are, Mark, uh, here in Ames, four inches of snow is on the ground this morning. So I'm good without the trip up up north, but uh, weather will be interesting. I will be intrigued to see what the crowd is like on Saturday. I'm assuming it will be full. I'm sure, sure Daniel House can can give us an idea of this, but uh, um, yeah, the weather is the weather will always be a factor this time of the year. We take a poll each and every week here at the Voice of College Football on the Iowa channel just to get your thoughts on the winner of the game. And if it's a, it's a close game, an expected close matchup, then I will just post, hey, who's going to win the game? 
if it's an Iowa Northwestern game, for example, I'll post, okay, who's going to be the winner. And then I'll point post the point spread as well. Just get your thoughts on uh, the point spread as well. And uh, we should do this on a regular basis is acknowledge everybody's votes here. So we've got uh, just posted here, the winner of this Saturday's game, Iowa with 77%, as you would guess against Minnesota with 162 votes in, we had about double that for last week with Iowa winning, of course, 24, 10 with 78% of the vote there. And uh, before we go to our guests, we want to remind everyone that uh, Hawkeyes Live is brought to you by Gene Arthur Associates. Uh, the link is in the description section of all the videos to get your instant quote. You could save some money. So grab that link and then also consider our ticket giveaway for the Hawkeyes and the Huskers. Final day of the season. Go to Gene Arthur Associates on Instagram and Facebook. Like, follow and share there and you're automatically entered. All right, let's bring in our guy, uh, Daniel House, Gophers Guru. Daniel, it's good to see you today. Hey, what's going on, guys? Doing looking well. Forward to, Doing well. Looking you? forward to hear, hearing your expertise, Daniel. No, I'm, I'm excited about this game. I've been doing a lot of studying on Iowa, and so I feel like I, I got a pretty good feel for uh, both teams. I'm going to take some of Corey's breakdown when we talked a little Minnesota, and I'm going to serve it up to you, Daniel, because – to be blunt, it's difficult to evaluate how good this football team is when they've played a couple really good football teams, I would say, in going on the road against Penn State. And, of course, they had the Tanner Morgan issue thrown in their face and had to go to the redshirt freshman there. Illinois is a really good team, but showing their flaws the last few weeks. So Minnesota looks good, especially on the defensive side of the ball in all the national metrics. But really how good is this team against probably the worst schedule in the big 10? Well, I would say the biggest thing with Minnesota is just the passing game, being able to find something in that area. And it's been, you know, a, an issue throughout the season. We, I, I think I was on here before the season started and was talking about Chris Altman Bell's value. And when Chris Altman Bell went down, Minnesota needed other receivers to step up. And Dalen Wright was someone who, People, you know, thought would burst onto the scene. I mean, you're at practices and he was flashing a lot and then just never really clicked. And Mike Brown-Stevens has been inconsistent out of the slot. I mean, Daniel Jackson's been their best receiver, but a lot of teams during that stretch, Purdue, Illinois, Penn State, those three games they lost in a row, were taking the approach of stacking the box with man coverage, just forcing Minnesota's receivers to get open, taking away the run game. And that's kind of been the recipe for success while playing Minnesota. So you look at this game and you go, Minnesota has to be able to pass the football. You know, the game, the Rutgers game, this past game against Northwestern, the formula was just be more physical up front and, you know, run the football and Mo just dominating. Where now in these type of games, you're going to have to get stuff done through the passing game. When you look at Iowa's uh, expected points added per play, uh, t second and on first down, number one on second down defensively. So early down defense is so good. Minnesota, they cannot get behind the sticks in this game. And uh, one thing, Daniel, I know you're a you're not just a you know I know your your website is Gophers Guru, but you're a Big Ten guy. I mean you you follow the sport uh, far and wide. If you've been following Iowa since the bye week, and Mark and I have talked about this extensively, um, yeah, Phil Parker has 
done something he doesn't normally do. I mean, he he's stacked the box. He sold out to stop the run. And if you're going to do that against anybody in the Big Ten, it's probably Minnesota. Uh, yeah. I lo- go ahead. Yeah, I really like the defensive backs that Iowa has. I, I was intrigued while watching film on Sebastian Castro. I, I thought he played very well. A fluid mover, somebody inside that uh, has emerged when I was watching the film along with Moss and Cooper Jean, who I think is going to end up when all is said and done, he's going to be one of the best cornerbacks in the nation. Like you just watch his athletic ability, his instincts, and then also seeing what he can do in the return game. That could be a huge factor in this one as well. When you look at field position, both teams being within a yard and average field position margin, both teams have, have value that Iowa special teams is a huge factor. So, you know, when you're looking at a close game, cold weather, uh, you know, defensive battle. That's what I think I'm most excited about in this game, guys, is Joe Rossi versus Phil Parker. Like two very good defensive minds that I have a lot of respect for studying. Um, I, I think you're right that I was doing some things defensively that you wouldn't typically see. I was I was noting that as well while watching them because they have they have trust in their defensive backs, you know, and their their pass rush. They got a lot of guys they can rotate up there, like. I was looking at Lucas Van Ness going, man, like the versatility of this guy, you can kick him inside, you can play out of different alignments, like 34% pass rush win rate. So uh, I just, I, I like a lot of the elements of Iowa's defense. And so I'm interested to see what the, what the scheme is like, but I have a hunch it will be, you know, stacking that box. But you know, Daniel, and this is something that coach Patterson said to me, because mm-hmm. I said the same thing. They, Phil obviously has trust in Riley Moss and Cooper DeGene and, and Kayvon Merriweather you mentioned mm-hmm. Sebastian Castro, Quinn Schulte. I think the other part of this, and he brought this to my attention, I think he's absolutely right. It may be more of a product of Phil recognizes that they have no room for error on defense. <laughs> I mean, true. that's, that's, I mean, I, we all know the offense struggles last year and we know it got worse. So, I, I mean, if anything, um, Phil deserves, uh, I mean, I, we can hike his salary up as much as, as much as possible, and I won't complain about it because the guy has just been unbelievable in spite of the circumstances. Um, now, Mo Ibrahim, as Mark mentioned this before he jumped on, Mo is, has uh, gained 100 yards in 18 straight games. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, I always played some, some good running backs here since the bye. Um, and, I mean, they haven't had – I mean, including a couple guys for, for Ohio State um, – I, I just don't know how something's got to give here. Um, what What is the key here for, for Minnesota to find a way to run against this Iowa D? Yeah, it's, it's been creative. Minnesota's had to come up with some wrinkles to be able to run the football. You look at the Nebraska game, Nebraska overloading the front a lot because they knew they were running outside zone. So Minnesota tightened things up, bunch inside, you know, got the receivers out, you know, blocking, uh, getting good angles tight by tightening things up. And then you look at the, the Northwestern game doing some stuff with uh, the running back shifting uh, right before the play to kind of mess with the defense's identification and not allow that, you know, make them have to shift and adjust and, and prevent that overload. So Minnesota, uh, the last three weeks, has been adding little wrinkles to its rushing scheme that are subtle details that have helped them be able to run the ball. And, you know, I thought last week, they're a very athletic offensive line, but P.J. Fleck and the offensive staff talked a lot about pad level being lower, getting off the ball. Last week, I thought, was the best performance that they've had, just cohesively, everyone playing with lower pad level. Uh, and I, I believe that the offensive line 
maybe played one of its better games last season, uh, last week from top to bottom. So, you know, I, you, you were mentioning Phil Parker earlier. I mean, you look at like expl- opponent explosiveness, number one in the nation, number one in opponent passing downs explosiveness, like limiting the big play. And it's even more impressive because the offense isn't sustaining anything. You know, they're not being efficient there. So your defense has got so much pressure on you, but it's been like really good coverage disguises, mixing things up, confusing the quarterback. I, I was impressed while watching it. Yeah. And let's remember, I, I got into it with someone a couple of days ago, you know, Mark, somebody was trying to tell me that, uh, you know, I, we got to give Iowa's defense credit for the 20 or Iowa's offense credit for the 24 points it scored. Let's not forget that uh, Iowa blocked a punt that put the Iowa offense inside the 20. Yep. They blocked, then they had a, a kick, a punt return by Cooper DeGene that put them inside the 20. And then they had a pick six from <laughs> Cooper DeGene. Now, I give Iowa's uh, offense credit because, as we all know here, it's harder to move the ball once you're in the red zone. And, and they did get in, I mean, they scored each time. Um, but, uh, I mean, Iowa, what, 146 in total offense this past week? They've moved back down nationally in the rankings. I do believe what we saw against Northwest. I know Kirk painted it today like, well, we took two steps forward and one step back with our last two games, Northwestern and Purdue. We've talked about this. Northwestern's defense is a train wreck. Purdue's secondary has been a train wreck. I didn't catch all the Illinois game on Saturday, but it was terrible in that game against Iowa two weeks ago, Daniel. Yeah. Um, Minnesota's, uh, that, that was a question today at the press conference. You know, how does Iowa deal with this Minnesota secondary, which has been really efficient and has produced pros. Uh, and I'm guessing there are pros on this roster as well. Uh, so how, how does Iowa, <laughs> this is a loaded question. I know how does Iowa throw against the uh, Minnesota secondary? Yeah. Well, I was looking at that. I, I, I was like, okay, I was rushing offense being uh, inefficient like they are like 21 percent of their rushing attempts are stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage that's like the 13th highest rate in fbs so that's hurting them a lot because they're getting in passing down situations and that's the matchup that i'm watching in this game minnesota has done a nice job defensively on first and second down and is playing the run well you know top 20 rush defense in terms of expected points added per play so what I'm looking at is is Minnesota, Hawkeye, the Hawkeyes offense gets into passing down situations at like a 35% clip, which is the 17th highest rate in the FBS. They have the second worst success rate in the FBS in those situations. And Minnesota's defense is a top 10 defense in passing down situations. So the key is if Minnesota is able to stop the run, which I think that's been a, a strength of this team and and. Uh, they've had a lot of success there. They can be creative within the passing down situations. I was looking at what Jim Leonard did against Iowa last week. A lot of simulated pressures where you're dropping an edge and sending a second or third level defender as the fourth rusher. So you're not blitzing, but you're sending, you're sort of simulating pressure, I guess is how you would describe it. So I saw a lot of simulated pressures, which is something that Minnesota uh, really likes to do as well. So I, I watch Iowa's offensive line and I go, wow, I think there's a lot of opportunities to hit with simulated pressures and blitzes, especially when there's slide and four-man side protections, which uh, that's where Minnesota and Joe Rossi are, are at their best is in passing down situations. So Iowa has to be efficient on first and second down uh, in this game. And I would say just try to stay ahead of the sticks with the quick passing game uh, if, if they want to you know, score points on Minnesota's defense, because I think it's going to come down to who plays better up front on both sides of the ball. 
and Mark, I know uh, had somebody else that said, uh, well, you made your prediction line. I, I predicted Wisconsin 17 Iowa 10 last week. And so he said, well, you didn't account for Iowa's defense to score the points they scored. How do you account for that? How do you anticipate pick yeah. sixes? And I mean, you just can't. I mean, you understand. I think it's my prediction this week, and I haven't come out with my official prediction, Daniel. I think it's first one to 10. Frankly, I, I just, you know, <laughs> now, now special teams and pick sixes and, and scoop and scores, those can change things. But I would say the same thing as last week. I don't know how either of these teams consistently move the ball against the other. And you talked about those run numbers, those run offense numbers for Iowa. We're two weeks. We're, we're just, well, just a little over a week removed from a 200-yard ground game from Caleb Johnson. And- yeah, and I, I was surprised as well with Caleb Johnson's usage. Like, I thought for sure his, his total attempts and, and snap share would be higher than it was. Like, you look at all the advanced stats and you watch the games, he had 14 missed tackles forced against Purdue, ranks fifth among Big Ten backs in yards after contact per attempt, and is third in, in elusiveness rating among Big Ten backs on the, on the PFF elusiveness grade. So I'm like, I, I've been impressed watching him play. I thought for sure – he would have a larger snap share. Uh, I agree. Well, again, I know I've said this before. Purdue did not want to be there. I mean, I've never seen. And Don said the same thing. Yeah. I, I mean, their their non non willingness to make tackles in that game, Mark. I mean, they were playing for the Western Division. I don't know how they didn't want to be there. That's crazy. Well, just go back and watch. You go back and watch. I mean, Daniel, I think you know what I'm talking about. They they didn't look like they even wanted to make tackles out there. And our guy Grant. Michael, the big time boiler, he he told us that leading up into the game. I give him credit. He said, he said, I am extremely concerned about this Purdue secondary. It's dealing with attrition. We've got issues in the locker room. And I, I agree with you. I don't know how it now they did bounce back. Uh, but my biggest look against that team in person again in West Lafayette was a secondary that did not want to be there. So my point is uh the run game is what it is. I don't think you you read into that one game against a really bad Purdue defense uh and assume that that's that's going to become the norm but you're right uh a little bit odd i think he had i'd have to look back maybe i don't even know if he had four carries in that first quarter iowa came out with gavin and LaShawn williams in the first quarter and kind of mm-hmm. ran to start i don't know if that's trying to please the low the you know gavin's a local kid who kirk loves rants you know raves about his his leadership um, and is trying to get him involved, but boy, that is an odd, I, odd time to do that. Uh, a week removed from the performance that we saw from Caleb Johnson. Mark, do you have anything to, to add on this? Well, we'll catch up with this super chat. Then I've got a two-parter for Daniel, uh, Erica. Thank you so much for the super chat contribution. This one directed right at you, Corey. So Corey mentioned a podcast interview with Lavar. Can you please post it to the channel? Also, will you be doing a video on who would be? next coach yes uh you mentioned a podcast interview with lavar i mentioned a podcast interview with lavar um i don't know what that is i don't know that i ever mentioned that uh, i've never had lavar on my podcast but that's the uh, the comment um as it relates to uh who the next head coach will be i plan on discussing that more we've talked about that in the past mark but we'll we'll talk more about that i think uh heading into the offseason. I think it's a better offseason topic. Absolutely. Thank you, Erica. So, Daniel, if we go back to the Minnesota offense, I'm curious to hear your evaluation of Ethan Kalikmanix. Um, one thing would be, as, as we phrase this, 
have they changed their offensive approach, number one, with a redshirt freshman quarterback versus what they were doing versus Tanner Morgan? My second part to the question is, is he supposed to be the next guy? Is he supposed to be the guy that they're grooming to be uh, the starter for this team? Stylistically, nothing has changed too much. Uh, Minnesota has heavily run the football. I mean, that's that's their approach philosophically with how they do things. And I would say just the biggest thing is last week, there are just a couple of misplays out there. You know, there's a one instance where a, a receiver broke open and just ball wasn't placed uh, in the perfect spot. And then an, another rep where that happened uh, over the middle that if you hit on those two plays, you probably have a couple explosives through the air. But, you know, I, I think stylistically they're doing a lot of the, the same things that they did. Uh, Ethan's been more incorporated as a runner as well. So you might see some more like being able to keep uh, off zone read and put some stress on the defense in that area. But, you know, the, the staff is excited about Ethan's developmental potential. Like he, he's learning on the fly, getting used to everything. That's why I'd say like Phil Parker's scheme will probably be a lot of, you know, disguising what she already does a ton of, but like being able to mix it up and, and try to get, you know, bait Minnesota, Ethan Calic Manis into a interception. If, if Tanner's unable to go, like uh, trying to, trying to, you know, keep Minnesota from uh, being able to effectively read the coverages and then, and stop the run. I mean, big picture wise, there's not too much of a change offensively uh, with Ethan Calic Manis. So they're running the same offense that they typically do. Uh, just maybe a little bit more quarterback run possibility. All right, Corey, anything else for Daniel? Enjoy the weather. What's the press box like in, uh, in many at, uh, at the stadium? Is it, I'm assuming it's, oh, that's a stupid question. Of course it's heated. You're up in Minneapolis, but uh, I'm assuming that they, uh, they take care of the media up there with uh, hot chocolate and, and warm food on a Saturday. Yeah, you, you get your media buffet before the game, uh, cookies at halftime. It used to be Dairy Queen. They had a sponsorship deal with Dairy Queen, so you get the dilly bars at halftime. Now you don't get the dilly bars, so that's unfortunate. We get cookies instead, but that should be a cold one. I mean, that that plays into it as well. Like, I'm thinking it would be about 10 degrees and windy, so that plays into, you know, special teams and how – uh, the coaches approach that stuff, but this is going to be a game where it will be decided up front. I want to see how Minnesota's O-line handles Iowa's D-line and how Iowa's O-line handles Minnesota's front when Rossi uh, gets creative up there because that's – I see a lot of opportunity. Like, I was looking at the one matchup, center Logan Jones. Uh, I feel like Minnesota will come up with some ways to try to scheme up some mismatches against him uh, just looking both at the numbers in the film, uh, I, I was amazed that no Big Ten center has been credited with a higher pressure responsibility percentage than Logan Jones this season in the Big Ten. So it's it's interesting how that could potentially be a matchup that, that Minnesota exploits, maybe with some double A gap pressure and stuff. But uh, I, I, I'm excited to see Phil Parker and Rossi go at it because they're two great defensive minds. And Daniel, my condolences. I did watch uh, Minnesota DePaul last night, and uh, <laughs> boy, the barn was was it as empty as it? I don't know if you were there. Was it as empty as it looked? It there wasn't there wasn't a big crowd. I was not there, but I did watch it as well. And uh, Minnesota could not shoot the basketball. Uh, that's going to be a problem this season. They're very young. They got some upside, but uh, that's going to it's going to be a a long season, I think, with some flashes. It's investment basketball. Well, Dawson Garcia is a guy that Iowa had went after hard at a high school, so I'm intrigued yeah. to see what he 
what he does. Mark, yeah, that's I all mean, I got. If you Jameson battles out right now, so right that's, battle that's battle certainly... coming back will help. Yeah. Corey does his best to sneak some basketball conversation in, even though I <laughs> outlaw it. But uh, that, that being said, I'll take it a different direction. You've probably worked overtime this week, Daniel, breaking down that uh, Vikings-Bills film. Oh, yes. That was, that, that was a heck of a game. I, I enjoyed watching it. Like, all the all the crazy plays that happened. You know, Jefferson on 4th and 18. I don't know how he caught that. And then you got the it, just craziness of, of Josh Allen fumbling the ball at the one, recovering, and and it was just back and forth. And the Minnesota just they play so much better in those pivotal moments where you need to make the winning play. All the one score games that they lost last season, now they're winning those one score games because they're they're able to manage a game and make the schematic tweaks and hit on the big plays when they need to. And, and the confidence level of the team's way better. I think like earlier in the season, you saw them trying to learn a new defensive scheme with all the, the zone concepts and the zone matching and, you know, just communicating. Now it seems like they're starting to hit a stride here and, and uh, the offense is taking some more chances downfield out of the bye week. So yeah, the Vikings, uh, I, I'm excited to see uh, the next few weeks here because Dallas now at home. Vikings have a lot of home games coming up as well, so I think that that probably serves them well as they uh, enter the back half of the season. Maybe we've seen our Super Bowl matchup. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> uh, let folks know where they can find you. You can check out my work at gophersguru.com. Uh, the $5 a month subscription package gets you access to all the content. Daniel, thank you so much. We appreciate you being here, as always. It's always fun, guys. I love uh, love chatting with you. Thank you, Dan. There it is. The breakdown. Minnesota, Iowa. He's, hmm. He is the man, Mark. He is the man for Minnesota football. I don't know how this guy gets around to all the various teams and breakdowns. Because, again, you heard the basketball. You heard the NFL. He's an NFL guy, maybe first and foremost. He breaks all that down. And the so Vikings are having one yeah. heck of a season. So, Absolutely. Um, no, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be intriguing. I, I'd love to, to be there and, and pardon me, would love to be there, but, um, the cold is just, uh, the cold will keep me away this weekend. I do wonder how that will affect the passing game because I mentioned, you know, they're going to have their hand, you know, they're going to have hand warmers on the sidelines and whatnot, but this is a young quarterback that hasn't played a lot and, uh, somebody, pointed this out to me earlier today. Well, he's a mobile guy. Well, okay. He ran for 28 yards after sack. I don't know how many sacks Northwestern had, but 28 yards. Um, I can't imagine Northwestern had many sacks. (laughs) I can't either, but my point is we have not seen him. uh, I'm I'm guessing that uh, Northwestern didn't get him in in too many obvious passing situations where he's forced to make a play with his feet. So, as Daniel brought out, early down success on defense will be key. If you can get them behind the chains, because that's, I mean, Minnesota plays like Iowa wants to play. You want to stay ahead in the chains. Iowa's been terrible at doing that, but that's what you want to do if you're Iowa. Um, Mark, I feel like we should probably address the Caden Proctor situation. It may be these last few minutes. I don't know if you, if that's okay with you, but. Absolutely. Um, Although Caden, I'm, I'm not understanding of it or knowledgeable about it so well well, Caden Proctor obviously committed to Iowa uh nobody needs me to tell him that but uh he visited Oregon over the weekend um I'll just I'll be 
upright or for forthright with everybody. Um, I spoke with someone in his circle on Saturday during the game who told me, look, he's just double checking, making sure he made the right decision. He, you know, his future is what's important. We just want to make everything certain. I was told the schedule, the, the, the uh, visit had already been scheduled prior to um, him visiting and prior to his commitment. And so I, on, during the postgame show on Saturday, I basically said, look, I, I'm not that worried about it at this point. I can tell you uh, it's been crickets since then. All right. That's all I'll say. It's been crickets since then from from his circle, from his box, so to speak. Mm. So take that for what you may. There are rumors that NIL is becoming a factor. Again, I, I can't confirm any of that because I've not, I've not heard that from the source. But the information I was told on Saturday was that you know, it basically indicated to me that it's not time to panic yet. But as you know, um, you know, Kyler Casper is a guy Iowa lost to Oregon, not just because of the offense, but I think in, in large part due to NIL. So will I be shocked if Caden Proctor flips? I won't. I'll be se- severely disappointed. But money talks, Mark. And when he made the decision months ago, we said, wow, this kid turned down. I mean, he, he basically told a local TV station here in central Iowa, you know, I, I had programs offering me half million, million dollars. And he basically said, I just didn't care to turn it down. I, I want to play in the pros and make money. But Mark, that's a lot of money. And a big and guy like that in the pros by going to any of those schools. I know. And, and a big, like big, big guy like that blows out his knee at Iowa. Yeah. I, I just, it's too bad that college football has gotten to this point. Yes. NIL is a, great thing but it's been abused and manipulated and i just i have a hard time blaming a kid for doing that because i I think of myself you know if i was in that position i reflect back to being 17 18 years old and somebody's saying hey you can either play here and and have a shot at the league or play here have the shot at the league but over here you're going to get 500 million right away or excuse me 500,000 right away that's a lot Mark, mark is that a lot of money I'd make that decision today. Why, why, <laughs> why would you not make that decision unless you you really didn't like the coaching staff, the campus, everything involved over there? But he made that decision. He committed, and I, I'm not saying it's a fake commitment by doing this, but I'm just saying you know that he's going yeah. to visit other schools. So it is. I can see why people are concerned about that, and I've not talked about it. Uh, I've not produced a segment on my channel. I've kind of been waiting because I wanted to give his family an opportunity to kind of respond because they've been the ones that have spoken in behalf of Caden, which I, I respect. I mean, he's Caden is, you know, he's six foot eight, 330 pounds. He's still a kid. <laughs> so I've tried to respect that, but it's out there and there are just rumors circulating. And he was at the Oregon game on Saturday, wearing an Oregon duck shirt. The other part in this though, would be that um, while there's 500,000, a million dollars, whatever the figure uh, on the table elsewhere, that doesn't mean that's compared to zero at Iowa. There have to be. Well, I, even I'd if like it's to not know. Not on the table right this second. There are opportunities. Yeah, but the opportunities are different than, you know, basically signing and being told, "Here is cash in hand." I, yes. You, you, and I both know that he's not getting guarantees of commercials that he can do for the local car dealership out there. He's he's getting paid by boosters. I mean, that's yeah, just what that's it the is. Abuse that you speak yeah, of. Exactly. That's, that's 
against the rules. That's against the rules. Well, now it's happening everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's happening everywhere. And I have no issue with um, a coach and a program and a coaching staff outlining that we have these athletes on the roster right now, and they are currently benefiting in these ways. And we have these types of connections, but that's where it ends in terms of anything being set in stone, agreed upon. That's all against the rules. And what I've been saying since day one, when all this stuff started, we can say it's against the rules, Mark, but is it really? I mean, the NCAA has yeah, said you're not supposed to do this, but there's no enforcement. So, and and the the the, the premise of NIL is positive and good. Yes. But but in the very essence of NIL is also we can't control what players do. We can't control what donors do. And you like that, you know, in and of in and of itself. But my point is, you know, if, and, and some of this, you know, is filtering through Oregon, filtering through these different schools. But I've said this for a long time. What would stop a donor, a big donor outside of Iowa City, say up in North Liberty, from calling a recruit who just visited and said and basically saying, hey, I got a check with $200,000 written on it in your name if you commit and sign and you'll get it in December. How can this, how can the NCAA, the NCAA has washed their hands of this, but how can they, how can anybody regulate that under the premise of what the Supreme Court ruled about NIL? Well, they can do it the same way that there was cheating before NIL and that it was probably, probably rarely caught, but it was caught because I am guessing as we go forward with this, that there are going to be certain coaches and institutions that are going to turn in other ones when, because players are going to talk, coaches, people are going to talk and people, of course, on the coaching, in the coaching ranks, move from team to team and school to school. And there's going to be evidence of there was an agreement made not after December 15th, but in September. And here's the documentation. Here's the screenshot. Here's the whatever and that that's going to start at some point, I would I would guess. But I have said and I'm not an advocate for breaking the rules and people in the chat may not agree with this. But as long as it's being allowed, all right, as long as it's being allowed and there are loopholes and it's not unethical and you may think you may not like it, but as long as it's not violating the rules per se. Iowa has to get with the program on this. And yes, they have these collectives. They have the Swarm Collective, and they have another NIL group, right, that's taking care of these players. That obviously cannot compete with Oregon. And I'm not saying they'll ever be able to compete with an Oregon or a Texas A&M. But you have to figure out a way to produce extra incentive for recruits. Do I like it? I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want NIL to become an incentive for recruiting. But if, Mark, if I told you how many big men. Iowa head coach Ram, Iowa basketball head coach Ram McCaffrey went after in the offseason. And several of them, I can tell you with a certainty, chose other schools because of NIL. And Iowa was slow to get the collective in place. They've got it in place now, but I just don't think it compares to some of these uh, individualized NIL deals or packages that these recruits are getting. And you and I both know, Caden Proctor committed months ago. He's been getting, I guarantee you, he's been getting offers and phone calls relentlessly since then. So I would hate for him to, to decommit. I don't have any reason to think he's going to, other than the fact that he has obviously not shut it down at this point. 
Uh, we still got a month from signing until signing day. Um, but the bottom line is I just flashing forward. I just can't imagine blaming him. And, and some Hawkeye fans may not like that. I just, I put yourself in that position and as bad as it is. And as unfortunate as it is either blame Iowa for not having incentives in place or blame the structure for allowing this and not being able to regulate this. Um, it's got to be one of the two. So let's say that he has been offered and the money's on the table and it is, let's say it's a legitimate NIL and it's not something that's just handed to him, but it, but it's there, there's a reciprocation of some kind of product and service, that sort of thing. And it is what it's supposed to be, but it's just not at the time that it's allowed by the rules. Um, you know, this is something that I was going to have to counter. Nebraska is known to be one of the better NIL collectives um, in the Big Ten right now. And they're well, operating as such. That doesn't surprise me. There's wealthy people around Omaha, right? I mean, there's Nebraska football is a religion. I, I get that. Um, the, the problem with, I'm not trying to debate you on this, Mark, but the problem with, with what you just said, if there's, if if it's set up to where there's basically a service done by the athlete to receive NIL funding, how do you regulate what's adequate? Do you do you put a cap on this stuff? Can you do that? Can you cap no. these things? No. So so what's stopping the local heating and air conditioning company from having a donor use the, basically give this company money and say, look, we'll We'll give you this money. You cut a 30 second commercial with Caden Proctor and it's 500 grand to cut a 30 second commercial. You're telling me that would fix the problem. I don't think that fixes the problem at all. I mean, because you can manipulate it as, as much as you want. You're still going to, it's still going to be pay for play. Well, we have laws all over the place. that can be manipulated. Well, that's easily manipulated. <laughs> but we're I mean, talking about allowing these student athletes to have the same rights as any other American. So Again, I agree with you that the way it's being conducted is not good. It's not good for the sport collectively. It's not even good. Maybe at some point we will see down the road for the athletes themselves to some degree. Uh, but that's that's the freedom that the rest of us have. Well, um, so it's also, yes, it's, it's also be manipulated to say is that fair work for the return? Of course, it's not, but we are basically getting around just flat out giving you money by making you do something, throw up a few Instagram posts and there's your $500,000. But exactly. How can that be regulated to say what, what is fair return on? But my point is what's the difference, Mark, what's the difference of somebody just saying, let's give the kid 500. This donor is going to give the kid 500 million if he signs and let's give the kid 500 million million if he signs. Oh, and he can throw up a post. Because I mean, we do see legitimate NIL agreements out there where there are companies that are paying athletes and they're pushing product. Well, I understand that, but I'm just saying the the deals at the top with the best of the best, the rich as it relates to college football, I just don't see a way that the rich aren't going to continue to get richer because the ones that can and can throw this type of money they're always going to have a way around it as long as NIL is in place as it is. There's always going to be a way around it. 
And so maybe there's no issue for an Iowa because I was not competing for national championships. And, and I'm asked this question all the time in terms of who's going to benefit from NIL and who's going to um, be hurt by the, the NIL. And I'm, my, my thought is there's also an always outliers, meaning there, there's always going to be a school or two or three that for some reason they're going to take more advantage of this than teams or programs at their level and others will fall back. But by and large, 90% of the time, I got to think the same schools that pre NIL had the boosters that would pony up for the, the private flights for recruiting and ridiculous huge amounts of uh, analysts and support staff and great and grand facilities and all the money that's funneled into all the programs we could list off like that, why wouldn't they be the same people that are going to fund NIL? So I don't see much of a change in the power structure of college football because of that. All I can say as it relates to Iowa is this will ensure that Iowa never becomes a force. Any fan that that believes in a in some crazy world that Iowa can become a power, the rule as it, the the structure of NIL as it currently stands, and the structure of NIL in every scenario I can imagine, unless you start putting unless you start really regulating what exactly is NIL and then you take away what you just got done saying freedom. It's not, they're not like any other person in this world. Um, I, I think you ensure that Iowa will never be able to become consistently elite and maybe they wouldn't be able to anyways, because of where they're, I don't, I don't believe that's the case. And I, Nebraska proved in the nineties that it's possible to sure. be in this region and in this climate and be elite and sustain that. But I, I, I just think it's it's if this happens, we're going to all get a wake up call to this if we haven't already. My only answer to every concern that you just raised in regards to can this be capped and can this be regulated and can this be um, distributed more in an even way for better competition would be for college football to incorporate for college football to incorporate itself, just like it's an NFL, it's a major league baseball, it's a professional league. And then they, they can start to make decisions that are good for the sport and not every conference and every school just making decisions for its own benefit. And then there can be a cap placed on it. Just like, you know, the, the green Bay Packers can't just pay one of their players, Aaron Rodgers, whatever they want to pay him, they've got to stay within a salary cap because their revenue is coming from the NFL and the revenue for each team is tied directly to how much revenue is being brought in. So it's regulated. So if the NFL starts to make less money next season, well, the salary cap's going to come down because it's all regulated so that you run a, a healthy business. Well, if college football wants to get in the business of that, they can all come together and say, you know what? I was got... $3 million to for NIL for players, just like Wisconsin, just like Nebraska. And everybody's got $3 million because this is what the, the whole of college football takes in terms of revenue. And, but there's going to have to be a lot of organization and somebody's really going to have to take a leadership role to get all the conferences to come together and pull in one direction. And I, and I think that the, the one out that teams like Iowa may have 
is the fact that they're a member of the Big Ten. Because, and I'm not saying that these other conferences won't follow, be able to follow suit, but for instance, this TV deal that we've basically been told by Kevin Warren, you know, the door has opened now for players to get paid. You know, what that exactly looks like from the university conference side of things, we'll see. But that might be the one advantage down the line where there's so much money and not that there hasn't always been, but now there's more money than there ever has been from these TV deals where you're almost forced to, to share it with the players. And that may, that may even the playing field to some extent with schools and other conferences that are still using NIL in, in this way. And, and guaranteed there's going to be players that would rather, rather than flirt with an NIL deal that could get them in trouble or is, um, you know, at a school where they don't have the track record of producing pros like in like in Iowa, perhaps you go with what you know that's still significant, right? Due to the t- t- you know the uh, TV deal, uh, the money that it p- could potentially be on the table, you perhaps go with the safer choice there. I think that that could still occur. And Caden Proctor did come in and give the kid credit. I don't. I, I guarantee you, he ain't lying that he had six figures on the table. Now the million, I don't know. Maybe he did. But he did commit to Iowa, so I have to I have to think that in his heart of hearts, at the time when he committed, he believed that was his best. You don't just commit to Iowa with all this money on the table unless you actually believe in that moment, this is what I want to do. But we should have known this is going to happen, that there would be other schools pushing for him until signing day and after signing day. Mark, the, the signing day doesn't end anything. Orlando Trader, and I know he's not a five-star recruit, but Orlando Trader committed to Iowa, signed, and then earlier this year, got a release. And guess what? If 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 a player doesn't get granted a release, if Kirk Ferentz, if if the administration at Iowa wants to be petty and say, we're not going to release you, he'll just enter the transfer portal. <laughs> That's all he's got to do. Enter the transfer portal, and he'll get he'll get to transfer wherever he wants for free, anyways. And then if he wants to do it a second time, he'll probably get a waiver. I mean, it's it's the whole si- the whole idea of we get him to signing day and then it's over. That is baloney. Not in this era with NIL, with the transfer portal, with how the NCAA is granting waivers. Um, so what what is what is John Rothstein, the college basketball guy, say? Uh, the NCAA hands out waivers like uh, what do they say? Moms hand, hand out seedless watermelon on a summer day or something weird like that. But it, it, it is true. I mean, waiver these waivers are being granted left and right, and I I don't I don't see the end in sight. Erica, thank you so much for the Super Chat contributions. And if it wasn't for Gene Arthur Associates, Erica, we would say that you have sponsored tonight's show. So thank you so much for the Super Chat contributions. But in fact, we've got Gene Arthur Associates, and uh, they've been kind enough to uh, provide a ticket giveaway, Iowa-Nebraska football ticket giveaway. Again, follow them, like, share, and follow on Facebook and Instagram, Gene Arthur Associates. It's so easy to find. I do it all the time. Facebook, boom, Gene Arthur Associates take you right to their page, follow, share, and like right there, Instagram as well, and you are automatically enrolled to see the Hawkeyes and the Huskers get it on and maybe Iowa playing for another berth in the Big Ten Championship game. How about that? Mark, I'll just say one challenge to Erica. Erica, get into basketball. That's my challenge to Erica. She's an avid supporter of this show and in football. I know she's said in the past that she doesn't follow basketball. That's my challenge to Erica. Give basketball a shot. And by the way, Chicago, she lives in Chicago. She said that before. Chicago's a great basketball city, Mark, as you know. Great basketball city. Great baseball city, too. 
it's a great sport. It's a great sports city. It is right? a great sports city. Fox, I was just at even. I was just at Wrigley Field for the first time the other day, Mark. Oh, nice. Didn't go inside, unfortunately, but they were actually replacing the uh, the lights. They had a helicopter, and they were it's a weird weird thing. Oh, I never seen anything like cool. it. They had a helicopter li- literally balancing this mega light, installing new lights in the hmm. stadium. Interesting. I'll put it this way, Erica. Uh, as somebody threw me this slogan that we may tag along with the boys of college football, where football never stops, you know, in, in addition to joining Corey on, of course, the, from the Hawkeye of the storm for basketball season, football does never stop here at the boys of college football, even into the off season. So absolutely. Okay. Thanks Mark. I appreciate the time as always, sir. Thank you, Corey. Always appreciate it. Should be an interesting one. I can't believe we didn't get into this, but I can't believe that Minnesota's a three-point favorite. I understand they're at home. I don't see it. I think it's going to be a really good game. I, I don't see Iowa blowing them out, but... Vegas knows more than we do. I'll say yeah, that. Yeah, I think this is in the 17-10 range for Iowa, something like that. All right, Corey, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon, Mark.